Welcome to the Bay Area Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to make passionate, maturing followers of Jesus from here to the nations. We hope you will be changed by this message and invite you to visit us in the greater Annapolis area. If you would like to learn more about our church and ministries, please visit our website at bayareacc.org. Well, good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, What a joy to be here with you. If you're watching online, we're thrilled that you're joining us. I want to start by saying happy Thanksgiving on behalf of your entire church family. Have a blessed Thanksgiving week. We pray that Thanksgiving Day will be a day of really, truly giving thanks to God as we celebrate family, friends, the gift of life, and so many things. So we wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. Also, next week, we do begin our new Christmas series, and I so want to tell you about it, but I'm not. You got to come back next week for that. So, yeah. So, but I am going to tell you about Philippians today because that's where we're at. We're, we're wrapping up our 11-week series on the book of Philippians. It's entitled Joy in the Prison. The reason it's given that title, Joy in the Prison, is because 16 times, count them, 16, Paul uses the word joy or rejoice in this epistle. And he says, every time I think of you, I'm filled with joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He repeats himself twice over that. And and why is he so joyful? Obviously, it's because of the grace of God at work in his life. But he is also joyful for the Philippians. Really, the book of Philippians is a thank you letter. Because they have sent a love offering, a gift to Paul. Remember, he's in a prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. He has an uncertain future, yet he's filled with joy. And the Philippians send Epaphroditus with a love gift to meet his needs. And so motivated by gratefulness, Paul lifts a pen or dictates this letter And he wants to tell them, thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity to me. And that's what we want to look at this morning is this whole subject of generosity. Because generosity really is the pathway to blessing. Now, before I get into this message, I want to give you a little insight into the minds of pastors. Every pastor has some subjects that they love to preach on. Because they're passionate about certain things. This is why it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. Because pastors and churches have different distinctives, different emphases. For example, I love to preach on God's heart for the nations. I mean, I just love it. I love to preach on your highest priority in all of life. Which is cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus. That's what I love to preach on that. Another thing that I love to preach on... And you're going to think I'm weird, is I love to preach on generosity. And the reason that I have a love for that, and really it has nothing to do with what I or we want from you. It has everything to do with what we want for you. And I have this overarching pastoral concern for myself and for you. And Jesus speaks to it in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, where it says this, the cares of the world... And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. 
Now, isn't that true by your own experience that the cares and the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches can actually choke out the fruit that God wants to bear through us? And he's looking for a people that would bear 30, 60, and 100 fold. And I don't know about you, but I'm saying, God, uh, sign me up for 100 fold, please. That's what I, I'll take 100 fold if you wouldn't mind, right? Uh, this is why Martin Luther would talk about the conversion of the heart and the conversion of the mind and the conversion of the purse. Or C.H. Spurgeon would say frequently, the last thing to be converted is the pocketbook. Now, why would he say that? Because we know it's true, right? <laughs> if God has our wallet, if he has our finances, probably for 90% of us, he has all of us. And that's what God wants. He wants all of us. And I know this is an emotionally charged subject. And I know that there's some people that are thinking, oh, brother, we're going to hear on generosity. Why did, I, why did I get up and come this morning, right? And so I've been thinking about how do I communicate this um, this morning? I've been thinking all week about this. And so I thought, you know, I love talking about this. And if I wasn't preaching to you all, it'd be actually easier. Because then nobody could doubt my motives, Right? And um, all of our Scent Network pastors, 23 of them, they all know this is a passion of mine. They all want me to come to their church and preach on generosity, right? It would be easier to do that there than here. And so I'm thinking, okay, here's what I'm going to imagine. I'm going to imagine that I am no longer the lead pastor here. I mean, I'm an old man. I'm 85 years old now, right? And they've rolled me in. I look like this actually now, okay? So this is, this is what I look like, all right? And they have rolled me in here and I'm probably sitting on a stool or something. I had to apologize to Mary Kay. Mary Kay wanted to know, Craig, why did they make you that old? I mean, uh, and so I'm gonna imagine now that I'm speaking to you as if I'm no longer the lead pastor here. I'm just sharing Truths and principles. Okay, please take that away. Please take, remove that from my site. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no posting that on social media, by the way. So, okay. And um, we love people who are generous. And the Philippian church was extravagantly generous. Bay Area Community Church wants to be that kind of church. We want to be a generous church. And so I want to begin in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 14. If you have your Bibles open, if not, it's on the screen. Paul writes this, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. So he's writing back to the Philippians and Paul has just said, I am absolutely content. I've learned the secret of contentment. Whether I have a lot, have a little, it doesn't matter, I'm content. But nevertheless, you have done well to partner with me in my affliction. This little word affliction is typically used for persecution. Paul is being persecuted. He's being unjustly held in prison. He says, good job. Thank you, Philippians, for sharing with me. Now, verse 15 and 16. You yourselves also know, Philippians... That at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. 
For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So here's what's happening. Paul is saying, 10 years ago, when I was there in Acts chapter 16, and I was preaching the gospel for the very first time, after I left that area of Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. And even when I went down to Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once. Now, this is, your heart probably isn't pounding over this passage. My heart is pounding. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I want to be that kind of church. The kind of church that says we are all about partnering for the advancement of the gospel. This is how the ESV translates this. No church entered into partnership with me except you, you alone, right? And here's the thing about the Philippians. They were dirt poor. They were rock bottom poor. And yet they gave joyfully and they gave aboundingly. And this is the kind of church that God wants us to be. And here's the beautiful thing. Every time that we give here, we are partnering with the ministry from here to the nations. Uh, Let me bring up this map. This is the map of Paul's second missionary journey. And this is what happens. He goes to Philippi for the first time. He preaches the gospel. Then he goes down to Thessalonica. When he's there... The Philippians sent him at least two gifts. Then he moves down to Athens and Corinth. He's moved out of Macedonia. And no church is supporting him except one, the Philippians. And so as Paul moves from Athens to Corinth to Ephesus and then eventually back to Jerusalem, every time the apostle Paul preaches the gospel, makes disciples, teaches the word, guess who is in partnership with him? The Philippians are. And every time that we give here, we're a part of what God is doing from here to the nations. We're a part of what God is doing in South Sudan where 500 children in war-torn Sudan, impoverished Sudan, are getting a Christian education because of our giving. We're Pastors are being equipped in South Sudan. We're a part of Chechen, Poland, where a dynamic church plant is happening, which is going to change Poland. We're a part of Moscow, Russia, the Moscow Evangelical Seminary that is sending out dozens and dozens of pastors, church planters, and Christian leaders throughout all of Russia and the former Soviet Union. We are a part of supporting every ministry on the yard, if there are any mids here today, whether it's crew, OCF, navigators, FCA, our church family supports them all, Young Life, Youth for Christ, and every person that walks in that student ministry warehouse and all of the 400 children that will be ministered on all of our campuses We have a part in it. Now, I don't know about you, but but this is this is what this is pleasing to God, right? And so Paul is overcome and he's writing back a thank you letter 
because they've been partnering with him. Now, Paul is going to say three things. And so for note takers or engineer types like me, you like three simple bullets. I'm going to give them to you in just a moment. But let's look at verse 17 as we start. In verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Think with me. He says, there's something I'm not seeking and there's something that I am seeking. What is Paul not seeking? He's not seeking the money. He's not seeking the profit. Paul says, I'm good. I'm content in abundance and in little. But here's the thing that I am seeking I am seeking the profit. This is an accounting term. Could be translated fruit. I am seeking the fruit which increases to your account. Paul says, I am seeking the continuous increase to your heavenly account. You do know that you have an account in heaven. And every good deed that you do... Every financial gift that you make for the sake of the kingdom is a cruise profit in your account. Uh, Jesus says this, but first, here's the point. Your generosity stores up treasures in heaven. Jesus makes this very point in Matthew chapter 6, and he says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is saying, you have this heavenly bank account, and when you give, you are laying up treasures. Your profit in heaven increases. And whenever you and I invest in God's kingdom, God deposits into our ERA. You know what our ERA is, right? It is our eternal retirement account. We all have one. You have an ERA. And the truth of the matter is, we're much more concerned about our IRA than we are our ERA. And God wants us to shift our perspective. It's not that IRAs aren't important, but he wants our focus to be on our ERA. Now, okay, if you need to take a break, just take a break. I'm going to give you something for extra credit here for just a minute. So this is a two-minute um, little rabbit trail. But I, you need to understand, in the New Testament, the New Testament talks about two different judgments, two different judgments. One judgment is known as the great white throne of judgment. It's found in Revelation chapter 20. And every non-believer, every person who has not placed their faith and trust in Jesus will one day stand before the great white throne of judgment. And because they have not trusted in Jesus, they will be cast out to the eternal lake of fire. That's a judgment. There is another judgment... And it is known as the judgment seat of Christ. 
It's commonly referred to by the Greek word, the bema seat of Christ. And this is the judgment. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, in Romans chapter 14. This is a judgment where every believer, every person who knows Jesus, will one day stand in front of the bema seat of Jesus, and we will be rewarded for our faithfulness here upon earth. And so Jesus Christ is going to reward us or the lack thereof based upon our faithfulness here. This is not a judgment for eternal salvation. We're saved by grace through faith, but it is to dispense rewards. And what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying is when you give, you are laying up treasures in heaven. Or to quote Randy Alcorn, actually it was Oswald J. Smith who said it, Randy Alcorn popularized it, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead, right? (laughs) And this is why the saying goes, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? It doesn't happen. And so we have this unique opportunity, says Paul and says Jesus, to lay up treasures in heaven. I remember a number of years ago, I was talking with somebody, a member of our church. He was very moved by the mission that God had entrusted to us. A person of affluence, he came to me. He felt like the Lord was stirring his heart to give a sacrificial gift, a large gift. He wanted to talk to me about it because he had some questions. And so I sat down with him and and we talked. And I said to him at the end, I said, just do whatever the Lord is telling you to do. And so he went back and he prayed about it. He came back and he said to me, my wife and I have decided we are gonna make this huge sacrificial gift. And I looked at him and I said to him, have you ever given a gift like this before? And he said, no, this is 10 times the size of any gift that I've ever given. And I said to him, I said, I am so happy. And it has nothing to do with the money. It has everything to do with the fact that you are laying up, storing up treasures in heaven. And God is so well pleased, right? And this is the life that we want to live. We want to live for the audience of one, do we not? We want to live a pleasing life to God. And this is the second thing that Paul is going to commend the Philippians for because your generosity, he says, pleases God. Your generosity pleases God. Look at verse 18 of Philippians chapter four. He says this, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. So he's expressing his thanks. He's saying, I have all my needs have been abundantly met. Thank you very much. And now he's going to use Old Testament imagery. And he adds this, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. God wants you and I to be well-pleasing 
to him. What is it that pleases God? Think biblically with me. What is it that pleases God? The answer is our faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so God is always pleased when we step out and trust him, when we obey what he's telling us to do. And is it not true that one of or perhaps the most difficult area for most of us to trust God in is in the area of finances? Somehow we're deceived in thinking that We have to be in control, like as somehow we're in control. And there's a little voice in the back of our mind that says, will I have enough? As if somehow it all depends upon us. You know what giving is? Giving is like a spiritual stent, S-T-E-N-T. Most of us know what a stent is. Especially as we get older, more of us know what a stent is. But uh, a stent is a a small tubular mesh that uh, instrument that goes into a collapsed, blocked artery, right? And so, when you have a coronary artery that is blocked, the blood is not flowing like it was designed to. I wonder how many folks here, anybody here had a stent? Uh, You probably don't want to. Yeah, you can. Okay, I see those hands, right? Um, How do you feel when the blood isn't flowing? Well, you might not even be able to diagnose what the problem is, but you lack energy. You lack vitality. You lack vigor. And then all of a sudden, you go in for this procedure, they put the stent in, and the blood begins to flow. The oxygen begins to get carried throughout your system, and all of a sudden, you feel like a new man again, right? You've got all this energy and all this vitality. Generosity is like a spiritual stent. Because for many of us, we've got this blockage in our spiritual arteries and we might not even know about it but when God breaks in this blockbuster to get rid of the blockage right all of a sudden it's like the hand of God is moving in areas of my life that I never even knew needed his touch that's the way it works I remember years ago we did this stewardship campaign It was called One and Only Life. And I remember after this banquet that we had, we were much smaller at the time, this couple came up to me afterwards and they were deeply moved. And he said to me, Greg, thank you. Thank me for what? He goes, I want you to know this is the very first time that my wife and I have ever prayed about our finances. And this is the very first time we have ever asked God what he would want us to do in relationship to our finances. And this is the very first time that we were ever stepping out in faith to trust him with a sacrificial gift. I looked back at him and I said, I am so happy 
and it has nothing to do about the money. It has everything to do with the fact that you are just now stepping in to the jet stream of God's grace. God is about to move in your life in ways you have yet to experience. Why? Because he was being pleasing to God. God was pleased with that. So the Philippians are a generous church. They are storing up treasures in heaven. They're pleasing to God. One other thing, and that's this. Your generosity assures God's provision. When we give faithfully to God what God asks us to give, God will move heaven and earth to provide for our every need. This is what Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says. It says this, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let's look at this verse. My God will supply. That's a promise. And what will he supply? He'll supply all. There'll be no lack of our needs. Not all of our wants. Not all of our desires. Not all of our dreams, but he will provide all of our needs according to what? According to his riches, his glory in Christ Jesus. God says, I'm good for it. Now, there is one important word here, this little conjunction that starts the sentence, the word and. And connects verse 19 to the previous verses. And you see, you cannot rip this passage out of context, let me put it like this. You cannot mismanage God's money. Spend it in a way that is not honoring God. Get yourself in unwise debt, right? And then claim Philippians 4.19. It doesn't work that way. This is a verse that Paul is speaking into the Philippians who are generously giving out of their need. And so, in essence, Paul is saying, because you are faithfully doing what God has asked you to do, you can take it to the bank. God's got your back. This man is now the wealthiest man in the world once again. Last week, Pastor Allen said Jeff Bezos was the richest man, and he was last week, but Bill Gates overcame him this past week, right? And so... Um, uh, he's worth $110 billion, roughly, now. I want you to imagine, just for a moment, just imagine that uh, Bill Gates wants to be your best friend. He wants to be your best friend. He comes up to you and says, look, just be faithful with the monies that you have. Just steward them well. And if you have any shortfall, if you have any needs, I got you covered. Don't sweat it. I got you. I've, I'll put all of my resources to bear on whatever needs you might have, as long as you're faithful. How would you feel? Feel pretty good, huh? <laughs> You'd sleep well at night, wouldn't you? <laughs> There'd be a sense of confidence and assurance, right? Some of us are more comfortable trusting the word of Gates than we are trusting the word of God. Isn't that true? Why? Because Bill Gates is physical and tangible and he's got X number of billions in the bank. 
God is invisible, intangible, a spirit being. And yet God says in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is mine and all that dwells, the world and everything on it. In Psalm chapter 50, verse 10 and 12, the Lord says, the cattle on a thousand hills are all mine. I own everything. And he makes this promise to us that he will move heaven and earth according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to meet our every need if we are but faithful. So when we are generous, God takes full responsibility to supply our needs. You see... This promise of Philippians 4.19 is a contingent promise. It's a promise that is provisional for all those who are following after Jesus. Okay, let's review, shall we? Bring this next slide up. Generosity is your spiritual stint. It's your stint to store up treasure in heaven, to please God, and to see God's supernatural provision. Now, I know this to be true. I know it's true. My wife and I have been working on this area together in our life since 1983. And um, since, 2000 and, since 2001, this has been a particular burden and passion of mine. I want you to imagine now that I am 85 years old. I can barely walk. I want to, as simply as I can, close this message by telling you how you can be a generous person so that you can store up treasures, so you can be pleasing to God, so you can be absolutely confident that God will meet your every need. I want to tell you as simply as I possibly can. Now, there are two foundational principles to being a generous person. This is the foundation of it all. The first principle is this. God owns it. I steward it. That's the first principle. Until you and I come to the place where we realize it is not my money. This house is not my house. This car is not my car. It all belongs to God. He is the owner of everything. Until I come to that place of realizing that and release it back to the rightful owner, here's what happens. My fists. I clench my fists because it's mine. And I will not be a faithful steward. But when I see myself as a steward, the pressure is absolutely off. It's not mine to begin with. It's yours. Lord, how do you want me to be faithful? That's the foundation of it. Now, once we master that, the second thing is a certain lifestyle. The habits of a certain lifestyle. And in three simple words, here's the second foundational principle. It is this. Give save, live. Give, save, live. What do I mean by that? Jesus Christ is absolutely preeminent over all things. He is to have the supremacy over everything. That includes him having supremacy over our finances. He is not a, a menu item on the line of all of our expenses. You know, we've got our mortgage and our car and our vacation plans and my Verizon bill and what, and there's my, no, no, this is not the way it works. 
He is preeminent over everything. And there is actually a principle in the Bible known as the principle of first fruits. And so every time that I get paid, I give back a portion to the Lord first. How much do you ask? I can't tell you how much. That's between you and the Lord. You seek the mind of the Lord, but you give first to him. That is a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. It is pleasing to the Lord, and you are bringing the Lord into your finances by giving to him first. Now, the second thing is we save. God has financial goals for each and every one of us. Don't you agree with that? God has saving goals. Perhaps it's saving for retirement, saving to buy a home, saving to go on vacation, saving to buy a car, whatever it might be. God has specific saving goals for each of us. We have to seek the mind of the Lord and say, Lord, it's your money. What are the things that you want me to save for? And then I save for them. I give first, I save second, and then I live. I live on the rest. And this does a beautiful thing, by the way. What this does it teaches me contentment, contentment. Because so often the things that I want to live on are not my needs, they're my wants, my desires, right? And God says, I'm gonna meet all of your needs and so learn contentment. And as I learn contentment and wait on, the God, on God's timing, God does supernatural things. He grace bombs us in unexpected ways to meet many of the desires and dreams that we actually have. But the order is important. Now, here's the lie that so many people buy into. This is the lie. The lie is, when I get more, I'll start to give. It is never, ever a matter of how much you have. Never. It is always a matter of what you do with what you have. It is not about how much money we make or don't make. We are stewards of whatever God, it's his money, he has entrusted to us. And so we give, save, live. Most of us live and then we don't have much left over. We try to save and then we tip God at the end if we even do that, right? And we think God's involved in our finances. Now, in 2001, God decided that he wanted to stretch me and Mary Kay. And so he asked us to step out in faith and commit financially to something that was humanly absolutely impossible. And we had no choice but to obey God. And for three years, we walked this journey out, and it was a struggle. During those three years, and I don't have time to tell you all the details, we saw the supernatural hand of God provide for us in the most unexpected ways. As a matter of fact, we are still experiencing his provision from those years of 2001 to 2004. And when I look back on it and I think about all the things that God did, that's not the main thing. That's really not the point. The main thing 
is what God did in my life. You see, I had blockage of my spiritual arteries that I didn't even know I had. And it was through this step of faith, a spiritual stent was put into my blocked arteries that blew them away, and God took me deeper and changed me. That's all I want for you. That's all I want. Let's bow our heads. I want to give you just a moment to reflect. I'm so thankful for the Philippians. I'm so thankful for our church. And whatever the Lord would want to say to you, just respond. Try to hear his voice. Ask him, Lord, what, what are you saying? What is the next step for me on this journey to generosity? And I'm going to give you a couple of minutes just to silently pray. And then I'm going to ask my dear brother and friend, Casely SMWA, to come forward and close us in a word of prayer and a benediction. Abba, Father, we are so grateful for the ways that you have been generous towards us. We thank you for the gift of forgiveness. We thank you for the gift of hope. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to be with us and to make us reflect you more and more every day in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would have full control and reign over our hearts, over our minds, and over our finances that we may be men and women who partner with you in the spread of your gospel all over the world. We thank you for giving us new birth into a global family of men and women who stand strong for Jesus, men and women who are persecuted for his name's sake, and yet who witness to the hope that we have beyond the grave. We thank you that we can never, never outgive you you have given us so much. And this season of Thanksgiving, we are grateful for our families, for our friends. We are grateful for the food, for the clothes that we have, the roof of our heads. We're grateful for all the blessings. And we ask that you'd give us a truly grateful heart that we will never, ever take for granted the blessings that you have showered on us. 
that will always be mindful of the needs of others. And for those families where there will be an empty seat, empty spot, we pray that your presence will be felt in a real way, whether it is as a result of a soured relationship or, or a member who has been deployed or someone who has passed away. May they know you as Abba Father, the one who comforts us. And Lord, as we go into the world, we go into a world that desperately needs your gospel. Make us those that bear this good news to the world. Help us to do it joyfully. Help us to do it generously. Help us to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. To you and to you alone be all glory and honor. And may your blessing accompany us as we go to serve you in this world. And we ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord. And all God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving.